Well, that's the reality. You may not have been impacted by the literal storm, but we've all walked through storms. I try to remind you of that regularly. Some of you are just coming out of one of life's storms. Some of you are in the middle of it right now. Some of you don't realize it, but you're heading into a storm. And as much as we would like to think that if you love God and follow Jesus, everything's going to be okay and everybody has a fairy tale ending, uh, most of us lived enough life to know that's just not the case. The storms of life are inevitable. Sometimes the difficulties we face, the journey we go through is unavoidable. This week, our neighbors to the south found themselves in a somewhat unexpected way facing the storm. But even after the storm, an interesting thing happened. We begin to hear those that were giving us the news about the storm tell us that the real danger was in the storm surge. Those things that went along with the storm. The waters that begin to rise. And, and then I begin to hear the stories firsthand of, of friends in Port Charlotte who had water in their homes. Of a pastor buddy in Naples who, who went out for a, a run the morning after and, and said downtown Naples was, was three feet underwater. Uh, people in Northport where we used to live who still are in their homes because their, their streets are flooded. To hear that an interstate is closed because of the fear of water coming onto the road. There's all kind of ripples and after effects of the storm surge. Rising waters that cause more destruction and create more fear and promise greater pain. And that's true in the storms of life too. We not only endure the storms of life, but we encounter seemingless, endless ripples of the storm surge that bring more grief and more personal pain. Storms like physical illness and even death. Relational abandonment or even abuse. And then loss. Sure, we lose personal possessions. Some of you have just gone through that. But even worse, right, is the loss of relationships, loss of jobs, loss of marriages, loss of friendships. So you have to ask, what, what does a Christ follower do in these moments? We would like to think that it's all about the amen times in life. I like it when I hear amens. That literally means so be it. And, and sometimes you walk through life and, and you're ready to tackle hell with a water pistol. And you say, bring it on. So be it. Amen. I'm ready. But sometimes in life, you're just overwhelmed by the oh my moments. Or the oh me moments. And you're thinking, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know if I can make it another day. I don't know how to go forward. How do you keep going when you want to give up, when, when the world around you knows that you follow Christ? Our answer found in this passage today is in a book in the Bible that has one of the more curious names. You may not have realized what it means, the book Lamentations. It comes from that word lament. Do you know what a lament is? It's a, a cry. 
literally a funeral dirge. Some of you come from a culture in which it's customary at a death for these cries and, and moans of despair. That, that's not my background, but I, I've been there. I've seen that. A, a welling that just expresses the deep and dark depression of the devastation that you've experienced. Lamentations is a series of five of those, five chapters, which are five laments that are expressed by the prophet Jeremiah. He's grieving. He's grieving the loss of everything. You hear that sometimes, and and perhaps you've said that, I've lost everything. Well, he lost everything. He was grieving the loss of his nation, the loss of his city, the loss of friends and family, the loss of the future he had hoped for. The year was 586 B.C. That may not mean anything to you. If you were from a Jewish background, it would be more meaningful. That's the year that the city of Jerusalem was overtaken by the Babylonians and destroyed. The temple was burned down. For the Jewish people, that is one of the 9-11 moments in their history. The Babylonians came to Jerusalem. They took over. They began to take captives. Many would be hauled off to Babylon. You read of one of them, famously, Daniel. Thousands upon thousands died in the streets. Thousands more would come to Jerusalem, as often throughout history people do, coming into the cities, hoping to find help, only to realize there was no food, so they would die in the streets. There was a stench of disease and death everywhere. There was no water. The temple had been burned down. It got so bad that when the prophet writes this book, he tells of parents becoming cannibals of their own children. That's how bad it got. And so Jeremiah is like this war correspondent. He's on the front lines, and he's telling us what he's experiencing. And it's hard to hear. It's hard to take in. He illustrates a journey that we all have to take at some point in life, a journey from hopelessness to total trust in God. It's a stark contrast. Let me show you the contrast. Verse 18, he says, I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. Maybe that's where you are in the journey today. Everything is lost. But by the end of the chapter, he has another proclamation. Look at verse 58. He says, Lord, you've come to my defense. You have redeemed my life. That's where I want you to get to in the journey. That in the midst of life's pain, in the midst of life's grief, in the midst of life's dark times, you are able to say, even like Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So where are you in the journey? Hopelessness to total trust. Let's dig in and see if we can find a little help. Listen as Jeremiah begins to vividly describe the pain. Verse 1. I, so this is personal, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's made my skin 
and flesh grow old. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you've even felt like you could say what he was saying. God, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but you're out to get me. Everything I touch is, is dying. It's not okay. My life is miserable. He's describing a pain that's personal, and it's a pain that's overwhelming. And he doesn't stop there. You could continue reading, but let's pick up in verse 14. My own people laugh at me. All day long they sing mocking songs. And then we realize there's greater pain than physical pain. 30 years in ministry, I've come to believe that with all my heart. All pain hurts. Don't get me wrong. But when there's physical pain, I I usually can point to a cause. If I've broken my bone, it may be painful, but I know what's going on. I know how healing can come. If I have cancer, Man, I don't like that diagnosis, but I understand that there's something that's literally attacking my body, that's eating away at the cells. But when the pain becomes emotional or or mental, then all I think is that there must be something wrong with me. Why am I not okay? How do I fix this? And so often we become like the prophet. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. And then, in a vivid word picture, he says, He has made me chew on gravel. I have a tooth that needs a little TLC, tender loving care. It's not terrible, but if I bite down just hard enough, it reminds me that it's there. You know what I'm talking about? Imagine that instead of a bowl of cereal, you were to go out in the parking lot and fill that bowl with gravel, and you took a spoon and just embarked upon eating that gravel bite by bite, determining to chew down on that gravel regardless of the impact to your teeth. I I can see you. It's making some of you just clench up just at the thought He made me chew on gravel. He's rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away and I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. And and some of you, that may even be where you are today. You're thinking, this is not what I signed up for. I I keep waiting for relief. I, I keep thinking it'll get better. But the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Some of you would say there's moments like that I look back on. I'll never forget the way I felt when I heard the news. When I watched this take place, when I was told what I was told. So, so why do we have this in the Bible? <laughs> Again, don't we just all want to smile and be happy? And don't we just 
want to hear someone say, be encouraged. Everything's going to be all right. It'll get better somewhere over the rainbow. And yet we realize deep within that's not always reality. The prophet is raw and real. And he teaches us. Here's the first thing he teaches us. Get this. It is a healthy thing to acknowledge our pain and grieve our losses. So this is me, uh, Pastor Shepherd, not only giving you permission, but pointing your toward health. Because that's not what you've always been taught. Somewhere along the way, some of you were taught, hey, you've got to put on a mask. You've got to pretend like everything's okay. You've got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And if, if someone says, How it, how's it going? You're always supposed to say, great, it's going great, regardless of reality. In fact, some of you as men were taught, if you want to be a man, you don't show emotions. You don't describe how you're feeling. And Others of you have just been through so much pain and so much hurt, perhaps even abuse, that you've just stuffed it down. One of my friends, Mark Vrokup, wrote a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. I love the subtitle of his book. It's called Discovering the Grace of Lament. I want you to listen to how he describes lament. Lament is how we bring our sorrows to God. Without lament, we won't know how to process pain. Silence and bitterness and even anger can dominate our spiritual lives instead. I read that again and I thought, man, in my ministry, I've known people that, that become like this. They, they walk through real pain, things that's unexplainable, that no one should have to go to. But somehow in their journey, where they end up, is not a good place. They withdraw. They separate themselves from those that love them. They become bitter. They become angry about everything. He goes on to say, without lament, we won't know how to help people walking through sorrow. Instead, we'll offer trite solutions, unhelpful comment, and impatient responses. And I read that and thought about how I've been guilty of that. You don't have to have experienced what everyone else is experiencing, but you do probably need to understand that sometimes hang in there and it'll be okay and just trust the Lord. Maybe a little more is needed. What's more, without this sacred song of sorrow, he says, we'll miss the lessons historic laments are intended to teach us. Lament is how Christians grieve. You see, Jeremiah points out something that's hard for us to understand. He acknowledges, and if you read this chapter and, and even this whole book, if you look back at the book of Jeremiah, you'll see this acknowledging that, that God is sovereign and that while he may not be pulling the strings that cause everything to happen to your life, he's certainly aware of it. And that's the God we worship. And so as we worship that God, we have to somehow reconcile that if he's aware of it, he could have stopped it, but he didn't. And so how do I grow through this? How do I grieve? Let me ask you, how, how has pain and sorrow affected your life? Uh, I've been here over a decade. I'm looking out at some of you. I know of the diagnosis some of you are living with. I see the grief that some of you are still in. I recognize the pain that some of you are walking through. 
What are you doing with these experiences in life? How are you navigating them? Are you allowing them to to bring you closer to God or, or have you allowed a barrier to be built? It's as if a portion of your heart is closed off and you say, no, don't go there because I don't have the answers and I, I, I'm afraid the whole faith thing will crumble if I have to address that. Or maybe you are on the other side and you can talk about the lessons you've learned. What, what has God taught you? I, I think about my life and there are times where I say, there are some things I would give anything if I had a time machine and I could go back and undo, but I wouldn't give anything for what God's taught me as I walk through these times. Scripture teaches us that acknowledging the pain and grieving the losses through lament actually give us more grace and they lead us to depend on what the Bible calls God's new morning mercies. And I love the authenticity of Jeremiah because I can relate. There are times in my faith journey where I just think I'm at the end. And God, I don't understand. I feel like I take a step forward and then all of a sudden there's two steps back. I don't understand what you're dealing out here. God, I'm, I'm crying out in trust, but my faith is weak. I don't know how much longer I can go on. My tank is on empty. I don't have any more to give. I'm all give out. And if you can relate to any of those things, I would just tell you that God is not intimidated by your doubts or your questions or your fears. And when you're at the bottom, He will meet you there. You're not alone. My friend Mark says it well. He says, lament is the language of those stumbling in their journey to find mercy in dark clouds. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've even just stumbled into this place. And you're saying, God, I, I need something. Because it's awful dark. It was about this time of year, my dad had had a stroke. And um, it changed life for him and my mom instantly. My mom is such a trooper. They literally moved in like two days' notice. It seemed like things were better, but then he had another brain bleed and he left the assisted living that they had just moved into, never to return. After a lot of time in the hospital, he went into a nursing facility and I mean, he wasn't the same, but it seems like things were going to be okay. And then he fell and things just got worse and things got bad. And some of you that were here, you remember, man, that was a trying time for me. And at least every two weeks, sometimes every week, I'd make that seven and a half hour drive nonstop to South Carolina and spend a couple of days and come back. And a couple of months into that, COVID hit and it was shut down. And we got some special permissions, but the visits did not come as often. I remember just crying out to God, thinking about this man who had been my hero, who was the strongest man I'd ever known, my source of wisdom apart from God. 
and saying, God, he, he's okay. He's ready. He's lived a good life. Just let him come on. We're okay. We're ready. God did not answer my prayer. Not in my timing. I remember his last couple of days, we knew that his passing was imminent. I was able to get there, and I'm like, thank you, God, I made it. Now just take him. Please just take him. And he didn't. And, and when you walk through that, you have to get to a point where you say, what do I do with this grief? What do I do with this which I don't understand? And what Scripture is teaching us is that the healthy thing is not to stuff it down and not to be a man or not to put your big girl panties on. The, the healthy thing is to say, God, this is killing me. I don't understand it. I'm grieving. We acknowledge our pain in grief. But God never intends that we stay there. Did you hear that, church? God never intends that we stay there. Remember the shift. I read it, verse 55. But, don't you love the buts of the Bible? But I called on your name, Lord, from deep within the pit. And, and some of you feel deep within the pit. Some of you have been deep within the pit. You heard me when I cry. Listen to my pleading. Hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called and you told me, do not fear. Do you know how many times in the Bible God tells you do not fear? Lord, you've come to my defense. You've redeemed my life. You know what God's word is saying to you today? When you call on the name of the Lord, there is always hope. When you call on the name of the Lord, there's always hope. Look at verse 20. I will never forget this awful time. I grieve my loss, yet I still dare to hope. Say dare to hope. I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercy begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. In church, there comes a moment where you either have to decide, is this true or not? Do his mercies fail? Does his faithfulness end? Can I trust him? That's the context for the passage of that familiar word of Scripture. It's not, though it's okay if you do this, it's not a sunrise at the beach. Great is your faithfulness, O oh Lord. Your mercies are new every morning. It's not a Thomas Kincaid picture of a mountain college cottage with a bustling brook and a rainbow in the background. No, this is in dark clouds, in devastating moments, in those times you don't understand, but you say, great is your faithfulness, O Lord. He was singing of God's deep mercy while living under the dark clouds of depression. And I can relate to that too. But it's in those moments that we must have the even though mentality. My Bible reading plan fittingly had me in Psalm 23 this morning. Do you remember verse 4? 
even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. In those even though moments, he is with you. His protection, his provision is for you. And so I grew to a place where I could say, God, even though you didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted you to answer them, you are faithful. God, even though you took my dad home earlier than I wanted you to, you are faithful. God, even though some of the circumstances around this are changing our life, you are faithful. And you can fill in the blank in your life. God, even though my marriage didn't work out, you are faithful. God, even though my finances are mess. You are faithful. Lord, even though I don't understand this diagnosis and I don't seem to be getting better, you are faithful. There's something, there's something that's reassuring and restorative in proclaiming how great God is even when you don't see his greatness. That was good. I want to say it again. There's something reassuring and restorative in proclaiming how great God is even when you don't see his greatness. This is why, and I would say this often to Buck, and I've said it to Andrew again this week, there are songs that stir our soul. So regardless of age, if you have familiarity with the songs of the people of God, when you sing How Great Thou Art, it stirs your soul because it points you to the vast greatness of God in a world where you look out and everything doesn't seem great. So what does the scripture say here? It says, the Lord is faithful and good. The Lord is faithful and good. The faithful love of the Lord endures forever. Great is your faithfulness. The psalmist says it this way. He says, God, you are good and you do good. And that's something you've just got to decide. Do you believe that? That's one of the first songs I learned as a child. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Why do we teach simple songs like that to children? It's because... Those foundational truths that we'll need as anchors in the most difficult moments of our life are based on spiritual principles that at their heart are very simple. God is good. But there's more. Jeremiah is also saying the Lord is enough. He said that in this passage, in the translation we read, it said, He is my inheritance in the NIV, it says, he is my portion. What it's saying is he's enough. When you're trusting in him, he will be all you need. By the way, that's the context of Philippians 4. Regardless of the circumstance, God is teaching me to be content in all things, whatever the outlook is. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the life of the Christ follower. And each day... Each day he's offering you these new morning mercies. But when I hear that, I'm, I'm brought back to the children of Israel. Do you remember how God provided for their need? He gave them manna. And you know what manna is? 
Don't, don't say you do because you don't because even the name manna meant what is it? I mean, they didn't know what manna was. They just know when they, they put it in their mouth, it went to their belly and they were no longer hungry. But listen, they couldn't hold on to the manna because the manna from today would be spoiled by tomorrow. It'd be unedible. And so every day, every, say every day, every day they had to go out and get the manna. And I think what Jeremiah is trying to teach us here is just like the children of Israel, you're going to need his new morning mercies every day. And that's part of the problem in the group that we call the church gathered today is we begin a relationship with Christ. And for most, it is sincere. And you've trusted Jesus with your salvation, but you've not understood that you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day and understand that he's your only hope for that day. You need his new morning mercies. Are you relying on God's new morning mercies? When's the last time you've just rested in his provision and his presence? Are you daring to hope? Maybe you just need to sing these verses. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, I forever will be. Sing it out. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided, great Please hear this today. It's a healthy thing to acknowledge our pain and grieve our loss. And the presence and the provision of the Lord gives us hope even in life's most challenging time. But you need to know this as well. Life's waiting times need not be wasted time. This is one of my favorite spiritual principles. I've, I've talked to you about this before, but hear it from Lamentations 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it's good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And all God's people said, no, no, God, it is not good to wait. It, no, God, this is, that has to be a misprint. That has to be an error in Scripture. What about waiting is good? Hey, have you ever been headed into the line with your buggy with four things in it at Publix? And just as you go into the lane, someone cuts in front of you and they've got a buggy overflowing with stuff at Publix. And they start putting it onto the counter one by one by one. Or... You go to Target, and thankfully, they've got 22 different cash registers. 
but only one of them are open. <laughs> and you're waiting. Waiting is not usually referred to as good. But here the prophet is saying that when we wait on the Lord, we're actively declaring our hope in Him. Think about this. What frustrates us in waiting? In those two scenarios I just gave you, what frustrates us is that we think, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here and I'm not accomplishing what I want to accomplish. Yet here's the irony. When we learn to wait on the Lord, we're doing the one thing that can help us. We're trusting Him to do what only He can do. Waiting causes us to recognize that we are not in control and it prompts us to rely on the one who is. When I think about that, I always go back to that time my wife was in surgery at Moffitt Cancer Center and we knew it was a big surgery and we were trusting the Lord, but we were ready for her to get out of that surgery and and hear the diagnosis and I had some friends and family with me and people kept saying, can I get you something to eat? And I didn't want to eat. I just wanted to see my bride. The waiting room is a tough place to hang out. But waiting moments are not wasted moments. Maybe you're having to wait today. You can trust Him. It's a healthy thing to acknowledge our pain and grieve our losses. The presence and provision of the Lord give us hope even in life's most painful and challenging moments. Life's wasted time, waiting times need not be wasted time. But hear this, pain, suffering, and even death do not get the final word. Let me say that again for those of you in the back. Pain, suffering, and even death do not get the final word. Lamentations 3.31 says, For no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion. Because of the greatness of his unfailing love, he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. So if you're thinking, God, you're just out to get me, you just want to hurt me, you just want to to cause me pain, that verse right there tells you that is not true. But listen to even some better news. Even death is not the end for a child of God. Oh, death, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sins its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe one of our favorite passages as believers in Revelation 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them and they'll be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Two weeks ago, I left this service and sitting about two-thirds of the way back was Mr. Ron Govan, and as he has done ever since COVID, when I would walk by him, he held out his fist, and I gave him a fist bump. That Wednesday night, he, uh, he and Miss Judy were at our house of prayer, and, and they prayed passionately as we prayed over our children and, and some other areas of our ministry. And then late that week, he, he had a stroke, and it, it affected him very badly. 
and he declined. And so Friday evening, he was moved right down the street to Melek Hospice House. And, and so after our prayer time yesterday morning, we, we prayed for him and Miss Judy and, and many others. And I went to my office, did a couple of things, and I called my bride and said, hey, I'm, I'm running over here to the hospice house. I'll, I'll be home in a bit. I went in to see Mr. Ron, but I realized as I walked into the room alone with him that um, this was a special moment. Just after I got in there and knelt down by his bed, I, I, heard, um, I heard him just breathe his last breath. I was praying for him at the time, and I, I kind of opened my eyes and realized he was with Jesus. And so my posture needed to change a little bit. And what stood out to me is what a peaceful moment that was for a child of God. I, I can assure you that was not the end for Ron Govan. In fact, I, I know that uh, he immediately saw Jesus face to face. I know that because I watched his faith in action for all of my years at this church. But some of you saw his faith in action in this church for decades. That can be true of you too. The reality is, as hard as this is to think about, some of you are not going to win the battle physically on this side of heaven. You're in the midst of it even right now, and it's tough. And we don't know the time. None of us will be a moment late or a day early. God's in control of that, but it doesn't always work out the way we wish. But it's not the end. Jesus got the final word. And that leads us to the last thing I want you to know. The presence of pain should always cause us to renew our faith. This has been one of those oh my or oh me messages. It's heavy. But if you miss this part, you've missed out on the intent of this chapter in God's word. Look at verse 40. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. I look at our society, and man, it's easy, particularly in a space like this, for us to talk about everybody out there and how bad they are. But when I read passages like this, I, I think maybe the problem is not so much that everybody out there has not turned to God. Maybe the problem is that a lot of us in here have turned away from God. And it's because it's been a tough road for some of you. But you let it pull you away from God, and that's not okay. So examine yourself. There's a man by the name of Thomas Chisholm. He lived in the 1800s, born into poverty in Franklin, Kentucky. He was uneducated, but he did have a desire to be in ministry. That was his one desire, to pastor. And so he did for one year and then his health failed and he could not do the one thing in life he wanted to do so in order to provide for his family he became an insurance salesman but he said this 
I must never fail to record the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God. And boy, did he keep his promise. He wrote over 1,200 poems and some songs you are familiar with. Like the one you just sang. Listen to another of the verses. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine, all, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Let's sing it out again. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Stand and sing this. All I have needed, thy hand provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Father, that's our song. That's our prayer. In the midst of pain, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of grief, in the midst of the storm surge around us, we declare that no water will overtake us that is not from you. When the storms come, you are faithful. When the waters rise, you are faithful. When we feel hopeless, you are faithful. Oh God, we're resting in your faithfulness today. Lord, I pray that all across this room, in this season of worship, you would just give us a sense of your faithful presence. But Lord, there's someone here today that doesn't know you. They can't rest in your faithfulness because they've not trusted in you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray that you would draw them close. That this would be the day, Lord, where they understand that you did everything that needed to be done. That you saw the debt that we owed for our sin. That you paid that debt, Lord Jesus, when you died on the cross. And oh, Jesus, that you're alive today offering us forgiveness and grace. Lord, I pray for that person that needs to turn to you today. Would you demonstrate your presence even in this moment. In Jesus' name. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing another song you're probably familiar with that really speaks to the peace that we gain even in the midst of storms. But as we do that, our pastors are going to be standing around the front here. Maybe you just want to come and pray. You have something going on, a storm in your life. It's surging around you, and you would just say, hey, would you just pray with me? Maybe you need that relationship with Christ that comes from being saved. I'm not going to pray a prayer with you publicly today. You don't need me. You can cry out to God. But I want to invite you, if you know you need that, come and, come and tell one of our pastors that are standing here. Just say this. Say, I need to be saved. And they would love to pray with you right now, right here. Let's worship him together.